Welcome back. Great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor at High Point Church. And as always, you've already heard it once before, maybe even twice. If this is your first time here, we're thrilled to be worshiping with you online today. I want to take just a second and explain why we're doing what we're doing. It might seem unusual that we're having an online-only service right now. And moving forward, we're trying to do these once a month where we have an online-only experience. And the reason is simple. In the same way that some people love to read a, a book and then some people like to see that book, but they don't want to actually read the print version of it. They want to watch it on the big screen. Um, movies have a way of broadening the appeal and broadening the message of what that, that book, that message has been. And in many ways, when we are taking the gospel and we're putting it online, uh, we're doing what movies have done, what, what movies originally did for books. And so we're widening the audience. We're widening who and how we get this message out. But there are also a lot of people who maybe love the, the, the movie version so much that they're like, you know what? I actually want to read the book too. And they take that further step in. And most people, when they read the book, guess what they typically say? That was so much better than even, you know, how great the movie was. And so what we're trying to do when we look at our community and our community beyond that of Atlanta and beyond Georgia is we are trying to take this, this message of who Jesus is and give it to as many people as possible. And technology has afforded us that, right? And we also realize that some people will encounter that and experience that. And this will be our invitation as a church to help them take their next steps. And if you live locally, that means you get to take those next steps in person. It's all about telling people about Jesus. And we're trying to be innovative. And we're trying to be two steps ahead where our culture is and meeting them where they're at. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So get involved in the chat. Uh, engage with new people here, get talking, um, and let's, let's use this as an opportunity. Okay, we're about to get into the message today, but before we do, I need to set the record straight. There was an individual uh, that, that helped welcome us to service who <sighs> expressed a dislike for donuts. And I want to make sure, I mean, this Hopefully you're getting good theology, you know, when you come and experience High Point. And I want you to know that's, I don't know that the Lord is pleased with that. Donuts are a blessing from heaven. And apple cider donuts are unbelievable. You know what else is unbelievable? Pumpkin donuts. Pretty much all donuts, unless they have like stuff, like jelly inside of them. I don't roll that way. Okay, joking aside, let's get into it today. I grew up in the 80s, and one of the things that if you were a kid growing up in the 80s that many of us had was the, uh, the original Nintendo, okay? I was a video game, you know, nerd as a kid. And, you know, you, you, you've got the little basic controller, and it's wired in, and the original Nintendo, you've got Super Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong, Metroid, Castlevania. Well, I had my personal favorite game, and it was the original Zelda, okay? You've got a sword and a shield and it's an adventure and the music was epic and it, you, you're solving all these puzzles and, and it was tough, especially if you were little. I mean, I'm eight years old, nine years old playing Zelda, trying to figure this thing out and you could clock in some time trying to get through these dungeons and secret passages and, 
And every once in a while, you know, as a kid, it was really hard and you'd lose your temper. You'd get mad. And my sister, who was older than me, saw me getting mad, playing Zelda, and she took it upon herself to come over to my Nintendo and push the power button and turn it off. She was imposing her, her she was imposing self-control upon me. And when I, I mean, lost my progress, lost my progress, people, okay? And when I say that I came unhinged at my sister, hope, you know what, I'll try to get her in the chat. It, this morning, I lost my junk coming at her. I was enraged. I was furious. I was what you would call angry, okay? We're in a series where we're talking about heart problems. And last week, we spoke about guilt. Today, we are talking about anger and how anger shapes so many of our relationships. It shapes how we live and how we interact many times uh, in ways that you don't even realize you've carried anger subtly beneath the surface towards an individual, towards God even. Now, I'm joking. I mean, I, I was angry at my sister, but it's not like I harbored anger towards her because she turned my Nintendo off. I had a moment, we duped it out, and we got past it, right? And, and many of you have interactions like this as well, but, but before we get too much further today, what is it that makes you angry? What's something that you maybe have carried with you? Something that's hurt? Where you've been, maybe you kind of you're stirred up over. It. In fact, when when you start to think about it again, or you relive it again, or you get in a conversation again, it's like you can get angry all over again. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just, it's like I'm I'm mad I'm mad about this and towards that person again. What makes you mad? What's made you mad? Who's made you angry? When we speak about guilt, we, we, we jumped in last week. You can, you can watch the video of last week's message where we talk about guilt and the debt-to-debtor the, the, the relationship that exists. When, when you feel guilt, it's as though you're saying to yourself, I owe you. I owe you. And so we say things like, I owe you an apology. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Right? I owe you an apology. Anger's not that way. If guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me. And that's the, the, that's the issue with anger in our heart, is that we feel as though something has been taken from us. You have been robbed of something. You, you've been robbed of, of, of your reputation. You've been, been robbed of a raise, of a promotion. You've been robbed of a marriage. You've been robbed of, of family time. You got robbed from that grade. Your teacher didn't give you the grade that you felt you deserved, and you are angry about it. Anger beneath the surface ultimately is the expression of emotion that says you took something from me, you owe me, and I am upset about it. 
And it can be small, it can be big. It can literally be something as small as somebody sneaking into your parking space right before you, and what are you? You're angry about it. Some of you get angry in this Atlanta traffic, right? You, you, you've been robbed, someone took, right? They, 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 well, I don't, I don't even know how you to describe it. They robbed you of that, of the, your place in the, in the traffic line or, or how fast you were going to get to work today. And you're angry. Some of you have situations that are far more serious than traffic problems or relational, you know, just rubbing each other the wrong way. Some of you experience real pain. I mean, tremendous hurt at the hands of somebody that you care about. A brother, a sister, a mom or a dad. Some of you have experienced abuse. And so you've carried this anger with you for a tremendous amount of time. And you've, you've learned how to hide it. You've learned how to mask it until, until you're in high-pressure situations. And then it begins to leak out. And sometimes that anger, maybe the person who hurt you isn't even alive anymore, right? But there's still anger in, in your heart. And what happens is that anger just, it just comes out in all of these other relationships. We, we, you've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. And it's really true. So how do we get free of anger that's really invaded our hearts? What do we do about it? I mean, in our culture, for the most part, we celebrate anger, do we not? Uh, I mean, of all the things that the Bible talks about in terms of sin issues, anger is one of those things that we almost give a free pass to. You talk about greed and people, you know, you shun that. No one wants to be labeled greedy. But anger, and many times we celebrate it almost as a sign of strength, as of might. And you look at even movies and films. Um, Liam Neeson's a great example. He has made his career out of revenge movies, <laughs> right? And we love his movies, we love Liam Neeson movies. Something happens and injustice is carried out upon his life and he uses his unique set of skills, right? And we love him for it and he enacts revenge, anger out on all of the people around him. And we celebrate it. But this isn't the way that Jesus teaches us to live. And more importantly, if you really want to have a heart that's healthy and that honors not only God, but honors the people around you, then we've got to learn to be free of anger. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, Paul writes this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it. As if it's like taking out the trash, you know, like put it in the trash can, pull the bag out, walk it out to the can, you know, wheel it to the street and get rid of that anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Get rid of it. If only it just, if only it were that, easy 
Now, what's helpful in this moment, and we'll unpack it, is that Paul doesn't actually say that this is easy. It's simple to understand, but it's difficult to actually do and live this way. I'm not giving you a free pass today. But what I am, I'm empathizing with the reality that sometimes forgiveness is really hard to offer. Now, we're not in a position where we ever need to ask God for forgiveness, but sometimes our anger isn't even just directed this way at people. Sometimes our anger is at where God was or wasn't. You're wondering why God didn't show up in a particular situation and you're angry about it. I've had moments like that. God, where are you? I've prayed, I asked, and you didn't show up the way I felt you needed. I needed you to. Where are my friends when I needed them? Think of Paul in this moment because it'd be easy to read what he's writing and dismiss it. But Paul is writing, if the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, Ephesus, he's writing it from prison. He's literally like chained to a wall. And he's writing about their need to be free and to be rid of bitterness and slander and rage and anger. And if anybody in this moment has reason to be angry, would it not be Paul? God, where, I mean, I'm serving you. I'm planting churches for you. I'm preaching for you. Where are you? P.S. Where are all my church friends? Where are all my fellow apostles? Where are all my fellow brothers and sisters? Who? Where's my jailbreak? You know, who's busting me out of this joint? That's how I would feel. <laughs> I want a Jack Bauer, break me out of jail kind of moment. Where, where are you at? But that's not what Paul experiences in this moment. And even with that, he says to be rid of anger. And then he follows it by saying, be kind. Be compassionate. These aren't the things that we associate with strength. And yet it is strength in God's kingdom. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. If the answer for a guilty heart is confession, then the cure for an angry heart is forgiveness. See, last week we spoke of the, the, the heart problem of guilt and what guilt needs to experience, your heart needs to experience freedom is confession to own what you've done, to own your mistake, to own your junk, right? To confess it. But anger needs something different. When you find that thing brewing in your heart, what the, the, the cure, the answer is forgiveness. These terms that we're using, we throw them around, but we may not realize it at the time, but these are transactional terms. This is actually a financial term. To forgive, it literally means to cancel a debt. 
That is what forgiveness means. And when we get back to our original conversation, when anger feels that you owe me, what forgiveness does in this moment is it comes in by the power of the Holy Spirit and the debt that you feel as though you are owed by the grace of God, you stop payment on it. You cancel the debt. Whether that debt is real or whether it is perceived, it doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is that you stand up with the strength of God, not in anger, not in rage, not out of revenge, but in compassion and in kindness. And we cancel the debt. We choose forgiveness. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying that this is, this is the way of Christ. Payment for our sin, your sin, was stopped. I love how Paul writes it. He says that, you know, he gives us this answer of what you need to do for an angry heart. Be kind, be compassionate, forgive one another. And then there's this line he slips in, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus was sent by God, his one and only son. And what is it that Jesus did? He paid the debt for our sin. See, we use these terms. We sing songs even. If you grew up going to church, there are hymns that use this verbiage. And many times we've never really taken the time to, to understand the true implications of it. Jesus Christ took the debt that you owed because of your sin. He paid the price for it. And what was that price? Death. He paid the price for your sin by dying our our deserved death for sin. And he took it for us. Jesus Christ took it for us. He paid the price for our sin. And now in the same way that God forgave you and me, that the debt was canceled, now we are to forgive others. Not harboring anger, not harboring bitterness or revenge, but in fact extending compassion and kindness. One of my favorite people in the, in the Bible is Peter. He's kind of rash and he's a little temperamental at times. <laughs> but sometimes when I read him, I, I'm like, I feel like I relate to this guy, right? And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter has a moment, you know, he's trying to be really spiritual and he's talking to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Like he thinks he's being like amazing in this moment. You know, he's, he's, he's starting this conversation about forgiveness because he knows this is the right thing to do. Forgiveness is the way of Jesus. You know, I'm spending time with this guy. He's so kind. He's compassionate. So let's get down to brass tacks here. How many times should I actually forgive? Somebody's hurt me. How, how do I do this? What's this look like? Up to seven times? Like, I mean, come on. That is like way above and beyond, right? Right? And Jesus proceeds to share a parable, a story in this moment to help us understand what forgiveness really looks like. Sometimes when Jesus tells parables like this, we don't see ourselves in it. We read it and it sounds like a great story. 
Now, here's what I want you to do today. Wherever you're watching from, I want you to take a deep breath, right? If you're sitting on the couch, maybe you're, you may be watching from your bedroom. You may be at work on a device. Take a deep breath and see yourself in this account. It's a lengthy story, but we're going to read it together. Matthew 18, verse 22. Jesus answers Peter and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. By the way, that is an insurmountable debt that this man would never have been able to repay. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, this man owed bags of gold that he could never repay. He could work, he could have worked multiple lifetimes and not have earned the amount of money to repay what he owed his master. And yet his, his servant owed him a couple bags of silver coins. And that's where we have the, the debt is it, it's night and day difference. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. He's angry. Pay back what you owe me. Okay? You owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There's a lot in this account. The point of it is to help us with perspective. See, most of us want to, we want to look at forgiveness through the lens of what has been done to us. But Jesus teaches us to look at forgiveness on behalf of what has been done for us. See, many times we, again, anger, it, 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 it brews because of what has been ha what's happened to us. And therefore, you owe me. But when we are able to take a step back and we understand what God has done for us in light of our sin, in light of the offense that our life and sin has, has, has been to not only uh, God Almighty, but just the cross of Jesus in general. When we understand what God has done for us, it allows us to take that deep breath 
and in turn extend the same grace and the same forgiveness to others. The debt of my sin was canceled. Now I get to, in turn, cancel the debt that someone else owes me. See, there's a propensity for all of us to forget. Now, I've done this. When, when Amy and I, we didn't, we didn't always live here in, in Atlanta, in the Kennesaw area. We've served at other churches. We've been on staff at other churches. Helped start other churches in other cities. And in one particular situation, we, we were just, we were put in a really bad spot. And a friend of ours that was on staff, was a, there, was just a, there was a moral failure. As sometimes, unfortunately, tragically happens. But this was personal. This, this hurt on so many levels, not only vocationally, but also because this was a trusted friend. And we had been lied to repeatedly. And so, you know, tr the tragedy hits. We have to, you know, sit down, fire somebody that's a, a friend. But, you know, there's just kind of bleed out happening relationally all over the place. And I'm driving my car in, in Orlando, Florida. And just flippantly as I'm talking, as I oftentimes do when I'm driving, talking to myself, talking to God, half praying, half worshiping, I said something out of my mouth that, that was maybe a little rash, but I felt it, you know, I just, I, I, I didn't really mean it, but I just said, God, if you want to take this guy out with a bus, by all means. Those were literally the words that were coming out of my mouth. And I rounded the corner in downtown Orlando, Florida. And no sooner had the words come out of my mouth that I wanted God to take this dude out with a bus. And I get hit by a bus. I literally had the front end of my car torn off. And it was scary. A car was totaled. You know, it was one of those situations where you're basically prying yourself out of the car. I wasn't scratched. I had no scratch. I wasn't injured. But when I got out of that car, I had a moment. I literally looked up to heaven, to the skies, and said, God, I got it. I got the message. Forgive me. If it's okay that I felt anger in that moment towards my friend who had lied to me, sometimes as Christians, we treat anger as if it's an emotion that you should never feel, and that's not the case. It's okay to be angry when you have been hurt in the same way that if you hit your finger with a hammer, you're going to feel pain. It would be weird for somebody to look at you and say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel hurt over, over your finger getting smashed. Oh yeah, you should. It's going to hurt. And when, when someone violates relational boundaries, it's okay to feel pain. It's okay to be hurt. You should. And it's okay to feel angry. That is normative and it is actually healthy. But what we don't want is for that anger to live in our hearts and to brew and to just boil in there. And then it begins to leak out and it 
poisons your whole your whole countenance. And you know what I mean when I say that, where you just you've become an angry person, or that the interaction that you have with this individual it just feels toxic. Anger has has begun to root itself in your heart and poison you. It's turning into bitterness and it's turning into rage. It's turning into malice. This is unhealthy. And the only answer for it is for you to take a step towards Jesus in this moment and extend forgiveness. Don't forget what God has done for you. See, we forget the magnitude of our sin and our offense towards Jesus and what he's done for us, towards God. But when we are reminded of the muck and the toxicity of our sin and what God has done, it allows us to take a deep breath, even in the difficult moments when people have hurt you, where they've hurt you badly and deeply, even in moments where you've experienced abuse. I'm not suggesting this is an overnight quick fix. But what I am telling you is that the answer for the anger in your heart is to cancel the dead and to forgive in the same way that Jesus forgave you. So this morning, here's, here's our very quick steps. They're not Difficult to understand. But it's what we get to do. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. There, there might be a, a person. In fact, there, there, when you have anger in your heart, it's always tied to an individual. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify who you're angry with. Do not write it in the comments right now. In the, don't post it. Okay. Don't, social media has no business with this. Okay. This is not a social media thing. This isn't for you to go up to that individual and be like, hey, I forgave you, right? And you kind of like passively manipulate the situation. Don't do that either. Right now, this is about you and your heart and God. Identify who you're angry with, step one. Who's hurt you? Put a name to it. Number two, determine what you believe they owe you. What did they take? Right? Did they take your dignity? Did they take your reputation? Did they take your confidence, your security? What is it that they robbed you of? Write it down. Write down the debt that they owe you. And be very clear. In the same way that our parable from Jesus, it was XYZ amount bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold is what was owed. And the other person owed a hundred silver coins. Be crystal clear. What is it that you are owed? Write it down. And then I want you to take the step to cancel the debt. Maybe that's tearing up the piece of paper and throwing it in the trash. Maybe it's literally going outside with a match and lighting it on fire. Maybe you don't want to get that experiential with it. That's also okay. Maybe you just need to, out of your mouth, say, I forgive so-and-so for what they did and name it for taking this from me. I forgive so-and-so for what they did. And you say it out of your mouth. 
You're clear, you're concise, and you take that step. And then the last thing is that you have to remind yourself many times daily. And as your heart continues to get healthy, because it's not a one-time thing. You know what it's like. You, you had a moment where you forgave somebody, and then you see them again, and everything rises right back up to the surface. And you have to do these things sometimes all over again, where you just you, you build a habit of forgiveness into your life and into your heart, where you, you, you habitually extend grace. You habitually extend compassion and kindness and cancel debts. You habitually stop payments. You don't owe me anymore. And I have to remind myself, just like you have to remind yourself, the payment has stopped. I am not requiring payment for what happened back then, two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago. I'm not doing it anymore. And you have to remind yourself. And that, that thing that brews up inside of you every day when you think of that person as you continue to do this might and should move from every day to maybe every week and then every week to maybe every month and every month to maybe it's been a year. Maybe you don't think about it at all anymore because your heart has become healthy. This is what we do when anger comes to live in our heart. We cancel the debt and we extend forgiveness. Father, I thank you in this moment for what you have done for us. You sent Jesus to cancel the debt of our sin. And we in turn do the same. We choose to do the same today. God, help us. We know it's difficult. It's hard. God, give us the strength and the courage today. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we say, Amen. Amen. Go be healthy, be whole, and deal with any anger that's knocking on the door of your heart. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.